Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 10, uh, verses 13 through 16. That will be the focus of, of the message this morning. But I will read, because it all belongs together, uh, from verse 1 through 16 of chapter 10 of St. Luke. Before I read our passage, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come again before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we, we beseech you for your Holy Spirit. We know, dear Lord, that unless you give efficacy and power to your word, uh, that it will fall on deaf ears. For we are people of sin and easily distracted. We ask, Father, that you would give us your grace this morning, that you would dwell within our hearts, that your word might go forth with power, and that it would be your word indeed, that I would fade, that Christ would be magnified, that your word might produce fruit in our lives, that he might turn us from sin, that he might turn us unto yourself, and that he might cause us to bear the fruit of righteousness, and the fruit of, of redemption, in our lives, and in the lives of our neighbors, in the lives of this community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word, reading of God's holy word given in St. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse, nor scrip, nor shoes, nor salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house you enter first, say, Peace be to this house. And, to the son, and if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house, and into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things are set before you, and heal the sick, and that... And heal the, heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But unto whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same city, and say, Even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, do we wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable in the day of Sodom, than for that city. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But I say, but, excuse me, but it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you heareth me, 
And he that despiseth you despiseth me. And he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. And his people said, Amen. We have here in the sending out of the 70, as we saw last week, the instructions that they were to go to to preach that the kingdom of God had come nigh them. That is the the gospel, uh, the gospel of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the church that the gospel collects, the rule where God reigns in Christ Jesus, uh, his king that he has set above uh, his church. Uh, And this is also the gospel of that eternal word himself. And so we see in our passage in the great warnings here that we need to hear and take to heart. Uh, but also the promises to these preachers of the gospel and those that carry the gospel forth. Uh, just the promises that come with it and the blessings that come with it. That we see the word preached and its relationship to the eternal word in our passage. As we look at it, we want to look first at those uh, cities to which uh, Christ compares those who receive the word, or at least hear the word, and receive him not. Uh, this is, he, he mentions the, the cities of Galilee in which he ministered. Capernaum is where, uh, as best we can tell, and, and certainly where Peter was stationed, and uh, he spent a great deal of his time Uh, His home was there in Capernaum, it seems, uh, and also Chorazan and Bethsaida, uh, cities, cities, towns, uh, near-ish at hand on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, These were the haunts of his Galilean mission. These were places that heard him most often. Uh, Bethsaida, we have seen already, is where Christ goes and... um, uh, receives uh, that child, the, the widow's son, back to life again. There were mighty works done in Capernaum, in, in Chorazin, and Bethsaida. Uh, these were places where Christ had done not only uh, his mighty works, but where he preached his word. And yet, while Generally speaking, the Galilean mission was very successful. He's very popular. Uh, he is going now towards Jerusalem. Uh, and, and he will be received into Jerusalem by Galilean pilgrims with shouts of Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Uh, this is uh, Luke spends a great deal of time on this section. And, but this is the, the situation in his ministry when he gives this. And so he is, he, is, he is warning these cities through these preachers. He's showing them when they reject you. And you think of Chorazin and Bethsaidus and Capernaum where I have ministered and where you see some fruit, but you see a great deal of, of rejection. Understand that this is not... <coughs> That this doesn't argue against your ministry. That this doesn't argue against... um, This doesn't argue against the grace of the kingdom of heaven. That there are to be those that are condemned. And he pulls in to 
the discussion, Tyre, Sidon, and even in verse 12, Sodom is mentioned in the parallel passage of Matthew. Uh, Sodom is uh, put there with uh, Capernaum and the way that Luke has this uh, etched out. So kind of the end and the beginning of the, the warnings. Uh, one says Sodom, the next says Capernaum, kind of bring those two together. Uh, that these were cities that were condemned that had you know, a relationship with the people of God in one manner or the other. Tyre and Sidon uh, were cities just north of the territory of Canaan that were given unto Israel. Uh, the king of Tyre, Hiram, was a man very much affect, uh, with good affection to King David and then Solomon after him. Uh, he was a man that if we read in the scripture, uh, helped a great deal in the building of the temple. Uh, that there was a relationship. But it's also a place that was a great snare. <coughs> To, um, to Israel, uh, particularly and most famously, uh, Tyre and Sidon were uh, Phoenician cities. And it is a Phoenician princess uh, that marries Ahab and is uh, known to us as Jezebel. Uh, and gives her name as an emphasis name to um, uh, certain types of women everywhere. Um, but is, is one of the great arch enemies uh, of, of the Old Testament. But it wasn't just that. Even later, uh, because of, of their perfidy and, and corruption of Israel, they were marked out as condemned. We get this, Isaiah 23, if you want to, uh, picks out Tyre and Sidon as for judgment. Ezekiel 26, 27, 28, Amos chapter 1, 9 and 10, Zechariah chapter 9, 1 through 8. Uh, just picking out a couple of little places in Ezekiel. Uh, in Ezekiel 27, the beginning of verse 26, that he, he is, he's actually, from the beginning of chapter 26, been dealing with Tyre. Uh, beautiful poetry. It's, it's interesting, the beautiful poetry in, 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 in speaking of their condemnation. Thy rowers have brought, brought thee into great waters. The east wind hath broken thee in the midst of the seas. Uh, thy riches and thy fares and thy merchandise, their, thy mariners and thy pilots, thy caulkers and the occupiers of thy merchandise, and all thy men of war that are in thee, and in all thy company which is in the midst of thee. And these are things that, that the Lord has shown has been a great blessing from his hand. They shall fall into the midst of the sea. In the day of thy ruin, the suburbs shall shake at the sound of this, at the cry of thy pilots and all that handle the oar, the mariners and all the pilots of the sea shall come down from their ships and they shall stand upon the land and shall cause their voice to be heard against thee and shall cry bitterly and shall cast up dust upon their heads. They shall wallow themselves in the ashes and they shall make themselves utterly bald for thee and gird them with sackcloth. And they shall weep for thee with bitterness of heart and bitter wailing. And in their wailing they shall take up a lamentation for thee and lament over thee, saying, What city is like Tyrus, like the destroyed in the midst of the sea? When thy wares went forth out of the sea, thou filled many people. Thou didst enrich the kings of the earth with the multitude of thy riches and of thy merchandise. In the time when thou shalt be broken by the seas and the depths of the waters, 
Thy merchandise and all thy company in the midst of the sea shall fall. And the inhabitants of the isles shall be astonished at thee. And their kings shall be sore afraid. And they shall be troubled in their countenance. The merchandise among the people shall hiss at thee. Thou shalt be a terror and shall never be any more. That is the, the nature of the condemnation. This isn't a slight condemnation. Uh, in most of chapter 28 that follows, uh, Tyre is pictured not just uh, in its physical greatness, but in its spiritual greatness. That it is, uh, the image there is one of the mighty that Satan has drawn down into hell. And he turns to uh, Sidon as well, because that city was the inland city, kind of the, the twin city of Tyre. And again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, chapter 28, verse 20, Son of man, set thy face against Sidon, and prophesy against it, and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am against thee, O Sidon, and I will be glorified in the midst of thee, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I have executed judgments in her, and shall be sanctified in her. For I will send into her pestilence and blood into her streets, and the wounded shall be judged in the midst of her, and by the sword upon her on every side, and they shall know that I am the Lord. When the disciples that are sent out to preach, and they hear that, that there will be those that they preach unto that will be like Horazan and Bethsaida, that have been lukewarm at best to the reception of the word of Christ Jesus. Jesus calls them to think about their fate in terms of Zidon and Tyre and say it will be better for Tyre and Sidon. These things that we read here of pagan cities, these things are mild in comparison to those cities that have been graced with the kingdom of God with the preaching of his word, uh, when they reject and not receive it. Even Capernaum, who is exalted to heaven in the blessedness because the man uh, of God, who is God eternally, uh, heaven come down to earth, has dwelt amongst them uh, literally, shall be cast into hell. And it shall be better for the day of Sodom than for that city, verse 12. Sodom, which is, uh, as lends her name through the grossness of perversion, her destruction uh, came upon her in her greatness all of a sudden. We have that history in Genesis 19. All these cities that were condemned, they had the warning of God amongst them. They, they knew who God was, but they had... No great works of mercy done in them. When Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain saw the great and mighty works of God, it was in their destruction. Tyre and Zidon, uh, when, they, when the, the curse and the doom fell upon them in various, multiple times in various empires that came through, uh, very famously, uh, I think, with both the Babylonians and Alexander the Great. Tyre is not an island. It was at the time. It's not an island anymore. Uh, it was cast down, as it were, and besieged as if it were on land. 
uh, and just according to prophecies. And they were eliminated. And they saw the hand of God not in mercy, but in judgment alone. But here, these cities have been touched. And it says in the verses 11 and following uh, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto these cities. Christ comes to these cities and Christ comes to us and to our town and to our community and to our hearts by gospel preaching. Because this is, this, these warnings are leading up to a statement to these 70 that are going out that they would be bold and not hold back in their proclamation. He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. What Jesus is saying is that the response, your response to the word, reveals your heart toward God. That everything that is accomplished by the preaching of the word is part of God's judgment. Judgment can be, it's a neutral word. It doesn't mean condemnation always. It can be acquittal. We are judged in Christ and acquitted because of his merits and his work. Uh, The saints in heaven want judgment for their persecution. They want deliverance. They want vindication. But because we are sinners, we tend to hear the word judgment in its negative way. Um, and, and that is only natural for sinners, and that's what we ought to also hear, that the judgments of condemnation are also part of the preaching of the good news. Not just part of the message of the good news, but part of its fruit and its recognition that there are hearts, there's are wheat and tares that will be exposed for their perverse faithlessness. In in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes uh, in chapter 2, verses 15 through the 17, he says, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity. As of God in the sight of God speak we in Christ. The, the results of gospel preaching are salvation and damnation. Now, the focus is on salvation. Because damnation would happen even without gospel preaching. Christ says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because... The Son of Man has not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it, because the world is condemned already. John 3, 16, then 17, then 18, 19. The world doesn't need Christ Jesus to fall into condemnation. It is already condemned. If you look into the world, if you look at those places that are without Christ, there is still sin. And all the effects of sin. If you look at those places where the law has never come and said what is wrong. As Paul notes. 
even them doing what is right and what is wrong show that there is a law written upon their hearts and they know that they violate it. There were men with consciences amongst the pagans and uh, amongst the, the non-Christian portions of the world. The, the question is, how is that conscience cleansed? And oftentimes it was a, a, a lot of, of mental gymnastics to explain away the, the, the pricked conscience, or rather uh, lots of rituals that would sort of grope in the darkness, seeking some sort of relief from condemnation. But Jesus says in Mark 16, 15 and 16, when he's sending out the disciples and the apostles into the world, one of the great commissions, he says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. These are active things. That there, the, the gospel is coming out into the world just as John the Baptist said it would as a winnowing fan. And it will separate the wheat from the chaff. And mercy is seen in those that receive it. Mercy is seen in those that trust it. But, but you cannot receive the word and despise the way the word is sent out. You can't grumble at the fact, because this is the way Christ gathers his people. He does it through uh, the preaching of the word. For Romans ten thirteen, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. That this is the way God has designed to gather in his people and to gather in the elect. And it is called the foolishness of preaching, because it is, by worldly standards, a foolish way. We see this, by the way, even the church today thinks this is foolish. Uh, look at, if you go to a Christian bookstore, which are fewer and far between these days, and look on the shelf about how to grow a church, or, or how to do missions, it's all about downplaying sin and the dangers of sin and of condemnation, upplaying people's self-esteem and, and being positive role models and, and preaching basically what the Pharisees preached, that good things come to good people and so you should be good and focus on the good. The power of positive thinking or the power of of, of, of entertaining. And that the, the old ways are passe ways. Mankind's attention span has changed. They want theater. And they want uh, uh, excitement, rhythmic music. And they want uh, uh, visual things because we're visual learners. Understand when the gospel first comes into the world in Jesus Christ. It comes into the world that is filled with drama filled with rhythmic sort of uh, psychologically affecting music. 
It is filled with visual learners. The most common uh, literary uh, source of the day that has come down to us is drama. The theater was big then. The cinema, such as it was, as a theater, basically, was huge. There was spectacle. People on the Lord's Day were tempted to gather in the stadium and looked upon what is going on in the, in the arena just as then as it is today. The whole diatribe of Scripture is that mankind wants to be visual with God who it cannot be visualized. That's the whole thing with idols and idolatry. This is what the gospel comes into. If the gospel thought that these were good arguments for gathering people into the church, the gospel would look very different than it does in Scripture. The commandments would look very different than they do in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 29, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, and nothing's going to change that foolishness but a changed heart. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Jews require a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are saved, both Greek and Jew, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see your calling, brethren, how not many wise are through the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. This sending out and proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven has come near unto them in Jesus Christ is foolishness to Greek and Jew. And yet it is the wisdom of God because he would humble us to see that we can't rely on on power. The Jew rejected Jesus Christ because he wasn't a a Messiah like Caesar. He wasn't the Hebrew Caesar. And they would not have a weak man that they could crucify. Uh, The Greeks, in general, rejected Jesus Christ and the gospel because it didn't adhere to their philosophy. And what they thought was wise and, and, and was great wisdom. Which means that we don't also change the gospel to meet the philosophy of the day either. We don't change the gospel to meet the entertainments of the day, nor do we translate change the gospel to meet the philosophies of the day. It doesn't matter if it's highbrow, lowbrow, this way or that way. We preach Christ and Him crucified. And in that preaching of the Word faithfully is also the eternal Word. That Christ comes to us 
in the preaching of the word. Because note how he says this in verse 16. He that heareth you, he heareth me. He that despises you despises me and him that sent me. Not just him as he is in the flesh, the mediator between God and man, but even God himself. You can't hide behind a deism and say, I'll, I'll reject the, the, the gospel, this organized Christianity, the, the institution of the church, and I'll just go directly to God. Without Christ, you cannot. If you despise Christ, you despise the Godhead because he is God. Because we are lost, we have to be humbled and brought to repentance. Faith must begin at repentance. That's why he is starting with a warning. Faith begins with repentance. Faith and repentance are really the two sides of the same coin. It's trusting God. That's faith. The word faith means trust. We're trusting the gospel. We're trusting Christ's promise of mercy. And in that, we're rejecting what we were the ways of the world. That's repentance. And it's in the same stroke. There's no sense in talking what comes first. Faith or repentance. They're the same. Because you can't do one without the other. You can't have God and mammon too. Because we are lost, we have to be humbled first with repentance. And because the, even in us who have repented and trust in Jesus Christ, because we tend to exalt ourselves... Faith must live by repentance. It's not something that you did way back when, when you came to Jesus Christ. Every one of us, if we're honest with our hearts, are gathering here this morning knowing we need God's grace to cover a multitude of sins. And he has told us we have to repent of those, turn from them, despise them. And so life is constantly humbling ourselves so that Christ would be exalted in our hearts. Note what city is not mentioned. Notorious city of the Old Testament is not mentioned in this diatribe of Jesus Christ against those who hear and do not repent. Nineveh, that great wicked city, that city that was also set for destruction and would be destroyed by God's judgment. But a city, nevertheless, that heard its destruction preached by Jonah and repented and gave a little time with the Lord. Repented in sackcloth and ashes, Jonah 3, 7 and 8. That there was a people that did not know God or the ways of God. And Jonah, remember, was not told to them, unless you repent, you will be... Destroyed in 40 days. He just said, you got 40 days and you're going to meet God. And you're going to be good. You're going to die. That's what he said. Oh, well, you're going to be destroyed. Let's, I'm not going to put words into Jonah's mouth. But we know Jonah did not preach grace or mercy. Because he complained to God that he had not destroyed them. And he also complains to God. That's the whole point of the book of Jonah. He said, I didn't even want to preach to them because I knew that this dire message was really a way of mercy to draw them to yourself. I knew they would repent, and I knew you would be merciful. That's why I tried to go to Tarshish. He didn't want to let the gospel have its perfect work, because he knows it brings mercy.
our life has to be one of repentance towards the word of God and faith in the word of God. That is the word preached, and that is the meaning of, of Jesus Christ. And that's why we are responsible with how we respond. And so the lessons and uses we have, where the word is proclaimed, there the word is. Where the word written is faithfully proclaimed, there is the eternal word. The kingdom of God has drawn nigh unto you. And to despise it is to despise the eternal word and God. To receive it, to hear it, is to hear Christ himself. We do not come to a lecture hall to hear a lecture from a Presbyterian teacher. We come into the court of the King of Heaven to hear hopefully a faithful minister faithfully faithfully proclaim the word of Jesus Christ. We come to hear Jesus Christ and to be in the presence of God. One of the counter-reformations, the Roman Catholic Church's accusations against the Reformed Church, the Protestant Church, is generally because we reject the abomination that is transubstantiation that says that the The bread and the cup of the Lord's Supper turns into the actual flesh of the risen Christ and the actual blood of the risen Christ so that he can be sacrificed again and for our propitiation and have our sins thing. That because we reject that, we reject that there is an actual presence of Christ in our meetings and therefore we come to hear just a lecture. That's not true. They have a low view of preaching. They deny that Christ is present in the preaching of the word. Uh, We affirm that he's present in the preaching of the word and spiritually present in the supper. That those who receive by faith receive spiritually the benefits of Christ are nourished by his blood, nourished by his body, truly and genuinely. But not in a way that re-sacrifices Christ Jesus, but participates in the original sacrifice. But more importantly than that, Christ is present not just when the supper is present. Christ is present when his word is present. That's Christ's own doctrine. That's Christ's own red. If you have one of those red letter Bibles, that's in red letters. He that hears you, hears me. And he that despises you, despises me and him that sent me. So where the word is proclaimed, there the word truly is. When we... Come together. In in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, when uh, there is the, don't neglect the gathering of yourselves together. It starts off this way. Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. When we come together, we're coming together not to a classroom. We're coming together not to a theater. 
our stage, we're coming together into the court of Christ the King to hear him speak to us in his word. And he calls us to repent, and he calls us to trust his promises of mercy. This is what we gather to do. We come to hear the warnings and the rebukes, and we come to receive his promises of mercy. So the gospel word in you, in verse 14, 15, Says, but it shall be more tolerable for the day of Zidon in judgment than for you, and thou, Capernaum, which are exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down into hell. He's speaking to those proclaiming the gospel and those who are hearing the gospel. Its parallel passage is back in Ezekiel chapter 33. You look, listen to the first 11 verses there. We get a picture of the proclamation of the gospel and our expectations for it. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of the people, to thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man at their coast and set him for their watchman, and if when he seeth the the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever hears the sound of the trumpet and takes not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that takes warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he has taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. O thou son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at thy mouth and warn them from me. And when I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Therefore, O son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus shall you speak saying, If our transgression and our sin be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Say unto them, As as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? The foolish and the ungrateful need to heed the warning here. When you are in this presence of the word being preached and proclaimed, uh, whether it's here or whether it's in family worship or whether it's on the street and somebody comes to you and brings you the word of God truly, you need to hear and take warning and not despise the day that the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. And it's foolish and ungrateful to sit here particularly week after week and give no heed unto Jesus Christ. On the other hand, if you are tasked with proclamation, if you're given an opportunity to speak the kingdom of, speak the word of Christ, don't hold your tongue because you fear that it will be rejected. 
There is in evangelism studies an idea that evangelism isn't evangelism unless it pervert, convert, produces converts to Jesus Christ. And therefore, we have to be careful of the way we share Christ because if they reject, then there's something wrong with our proclamation. That's not the picture Jesus gives his disciples, and it's not the picture of Christ's gospel. Paul says, we are a sweet savor unto the Lord, to those that live and to those that die. Christ says, go into all the world and preach. And there will be those that believe and will be baptized. And there will be those that will not believe and be damned. Christ says, you preach. You teach. Don't hold your tongue in rejection because it goes forth and brings forth fruit of grace, mercy, and the harvest brought into the kingdom of heaven And it also brings forth the fire of judgment upon Tyre, Sidon, Sodom, Chorazan, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. When we come into the presence of the word, when we hear the word, we are coming into the presence of the eternal word. The one who is from the very beginning, God with God, and has come into the flesh suffered and died and reigns in heaven now, that we might repent and that we might believe and that we might have him as our mediator to cleanse us from all sin. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that we have heard Christ Jesus speak to us today. And we ask, Father, that our hearts would not despise but rather rejoice to hear you speak to us. We ask that we would not take your word for granted, but that we would be taught, that we would be corrected and reproved, that we would be instructed in all righteousness, that we would repent and trust in Christ to everlasting life. In his name we pray. Amen.